morning we continue in our series on 2 Corinthians. We've been going through some of the richest, most precious verses in all the New Testament, in, uh, in my opinion, and much-loved verses by many. And it doesn't stop, even though we come to the end of the three verses we're taking one week on each week, it doesn't stop because the same theme continues over into chapter 5. And um, although we won't be going one, one verse a week, and the reason we won't be going one verse a week isn't because the things that it's saying aren't just as precious as this. It's because he's making one point over several verses instead of one point each verse. So... Uh, it should be a wonderful time to do that. But today, we reach the end of chapter 4, verse 18. And let me just make a little footnote here, or a little request to you. Um, there's a natural break in the book of Second Corinthians after chapter 5. We have another month or so, six weeks, of chapter 5. And then there's a natural break. And I have to decide whether... We should take a break in this preaching series for a few months, do something else, and then come back to Second Corinthians, or whether we should plow through. So I just want you to know, if you have a thought on that, I'd love to hear it. So if you write me a note or say something to me, I'd love to hear your thought, because I've got to make that decision. And right now, I, don't, I really have no idea what I think is best to do. Second Corinthians 4.18 And uh, one of the problems with this week being one verse is that it's not a whole sentence. It's right in the middle of a sentence. So I'm going to start in 16 and read through 18, even though you only have 18 here. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, and here's 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So, in this passage, we are told to look at things that you can't see. On the surface, that sounds absurd. How can you look at things that you can't see? Well, the fact is that there's two kinds of looking because there are two kinds of eyes. Now, we all understand that we have been, most of us, have been blessed by God with eyes in the front of our head that we can see with some better than others but there's another kind of eyes that the Bible talks about and we see this in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 where he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened 
that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints, and so forth. So he refers here that their eyes might be open, but he's not talking about the eyes in the front of their head. He's talking about the eyes of their hearts. So believers have eyes in the head, or most do, and eyes of the heart. If the eyes of the heart are blind, then of course, we don't think there are eyes of the heart. Because you can't see them. Even if you were blind, you could believe in physical eyes because you could feel them. But the eyes of the heart are invisible, so you can't see them. So this is, you know, if, if someone doesn't believe in Christ, this sounds like nonsense to him. We're saying we can see something that they can't see. But that's what the Bible tells us. And when we're instructed here to look at the things that are unseen, the word here for look is not the word for see. It's not the normal word that is used over and over again, even in this passage, for seeing. It's a word that calls us to pay attention to something. Like if you go to Ben's home country in England, and you're going to get on the London subway, there's messages all over to mind the gap. Mind the gap. The point is, there's a, a slight gap between the floor where you are and the, tra- and the subway that you're stepping onto. Just enough that if you have a thin foot and you step sideways, you could go between them in certain cases. That's not something you want to do. So it says, mind the gap, pay attention to the gap. And that's really the concept here. Or another way that we use this concept is when you say, mark my words. Mark my words. Pay attention. Give focus to my words. That's the concept here. When it says to look to the things that are unseen and not to the things that are seen. Now, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to see the things that are seen around us. Of course we see them. God has given us eyes to see them. But what we're really supposed to work on focusing on is the unseen things. It's not as easy to see the unseen things as it is to see the seen things. The the world that we live in, it feels so real. The pain that we experience feels so real. And the pleasure that we experience feels so real. But the fact is, the verse basically tells us there's something more real than the things that we can see in this earth. The things that are unseen are more real. So, there's a couple of different ways that this teaches us and applies to us. 
The first and most obvious one is that we should be focusing on unseen realities, not on the visible realities around us. The things that you can see with your with these eyes are transient. They're passing away. They're not going to last long. There will come a day when everything you now see has passed away. You, you understand that? There's coming a day when everything you now see will have passed away. So all the stuff of life that seems so important to us, cars and bodies and houses and positions and jewelry and money and toys and tools, clothes, these things are all going to be passing away. The invisible things, on the other hand, they will last forever. For instance, souls. You can't see souls. Souls will last forever. Christ will last forever. You can't, we can't see him now. He's hidden with God. His truth will last forever. His promises will last forever. His righteousness, which counts for us, will last forever. In February of 1990, some of you were uh, around then. You remember that we had a house fire which destroyed all of our clothes and all of our jewelry and many of our memories. Uh, that is, not these memories, but things, uh, mementos that we had to remember the past by, photos and stuff like that. And as Marianne and I poked through the rubble of the fire after it was all out, we found some of our treasures, but they were ruined by fire. And as we stood there, we said to one another that someday everything was going to be like that. So everything that we have is going to look like this. Today's treasures are tomorrow's trash. Every car you see in a junkyard was once someone's pride and joy. And yet now it's just a hunk of junk. Everything we see is fading away. Even the part of me that I can see is fading away. But the invisible part of me, the inner man, which I can't see, that part is being renewed day by day, and it will last forever. But this world is transient, it's temporary, it's fading away. I had a, uh, a memory. I, I saw uh, a woman at a reunion, at our ch- a church reunion, probably 10 years ago or so, and I remembered her because one night she had given me a ride home. We had worked on youth staff together. And she'd give me a ride home after a meeting. And, uh, and when she was dropping me off, she told me that her boyfriend had just broken up with her. 
And she began sobbing uncontrollably in the car. She was just beside herself. And, uh, and when I saw her at the reunion, I remembered that incident. And I asked her, what, what boy was it that you had broken up with? Because I can't remember. And she thought, she said, I can't remember either. <laughs> and here, this had been such a big deal to her that she could not control her grief. And yet now she couldn't even remember which boy she'd broken up with. That, I think, is a picture of how the things of this life are so transient. They seem so big to us. I remember my childhood. I was a very competitive child, and it was really important. Whatever I did, whatever game I played, it was really important to me to win the game. And if anybody um, did anything that seemed to me not quite fair... I, that was a big deal to me, you know, even if we were just playing a stupid little card game. And uh, I look back now and, you know, on all those games, some of which I won, some of which I lost, and I don't care who, who won them. I don't, I don't remember them. And yet at the time, it was so important to me that I win the, this game. It's, this is so important for us to realize that this stuff is passing away and the things that seem so important to us today some of them the the visible things especially are not very important and one day will seem so small the problems of our lives the griefs of our lives they seem so big and feel so real and God wants us to that perspective to be tempered by the vision of the things that are really important and really big and permanent and eternal. That's the point of the passage. When we have eyes to see Christ and the kingdom of God, then everything else seems small. The hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The, uh, in, the, in the hymnal, in the hymn, Jesus I my cross have taken, it talks about this. And this is so important because it helps us to stabilize emotionally. It helps us our, to be tempered, every, our discouragements to be tempered by the, the joy and glory of the truth and our, even the things that happen to us that are happy things to be tempered by the reality that, there's, that this really isn't like everything. It's just a small blessing and we're grateful for it, but it's not eternal. In uh, Jesus, I my cross have taken, it says... Oh, it is not in grief to harm me while thy love is left to me. In other words, grief can't do any harm to me if I remember his love. And then the next line. Oh, it were not in joy to charm me were that joy unmixed with thee. In other words... I, you can be charmed by the joys of this world, by the, the successes, by the privileges, by the positions that you're given, by the fame that you achieve, 
by the money that comes your way. And you can be deceived into thinking, this is it. This is my happiness. This is my life. But the mature perspective, the perspective that sees what's real, realizes that apart from Christ, this is nothing. This, it can't give me joy unless the Lord is with me in it. The psalmist says, your loving kindness is better than life. That's 63.3. Your loving kindness is better than life. That's the point. That's the, the real thing. His loving kindness and all of life, it just doesn't compare when you put them side by side. You know, you could, it's like, how, do, how, do, how does this make sense? That everything I can understand, you know, we're supposed to believe in God, we're supposed to put Him first, but how can you say that all of it is just completely inferior to this one thing that He loves me? But that's what it says. And those who see it, understand it. It is better than life. But there's something even deeper here in this passage. Though there is a time element to this truth. You know, there's, there's the unseen and the seen. There is a time element to it. That is that you can think of the seen things or the things we're dealing with now and the unseen things are the things that we will see in eternity. We'll have eyes to see them then and not just believe in them by faith or see them with spiritual eyes. And so there is a time element. But I think too often we think of them only as being now and then. We have our lives now here on the world, in this world. And then after we'll die and we'll have our lives there with the, in the realities of heaven. But that's not what this language says. It's, it's in the present tense. It's not in the future tense. It's talking about looking at something unseen that's real now. Real and eternal Not that one day will exist. We are to look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, as if they're here to look at or they're able to be seen. It's the same thing in Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Well, this uses locational language instead of time language. As if that you can look at the things now, that are above. The the fact is there are two worlds, but it is not just a now world and a then world. And it's not just a here world and a there world. The fact is in one sense the world that we can't see is all around us, pressing in upon us. There is an important connection between the seen world and the unseen world. The invisible dimension of reality is an important part of the world around us. 
And you can't really understand the world unless you see the unseen dimension of it. When you look at a person, for instance, you see their body, their intelligence, their personality, but you don't see the fact that they are eternal souls made in the image of God in need of a Savior. That unseen truth, you you can't understand a person unless you see him in light of that unseen truth. Each moment that goes by is not just a tick on a clock, but it is a gift of God. But you can't see that. You can't see the fact that it's a gift from God to us. That's something that you, you is unseen. When you look at our planet, it may look like a giant ball hurtling through space as a result of a long series of cosmic coincidences. But our planet was made by God and for God. And he has gifted us with it and entrusted it to us for our enjoyment and our our stewardship, our care. So we have to understand the things of the world in light of the unseen truths that we know. What are the things that we see? You know, when we go out and just live in the world, we see cars and we see people and we see the sun and the sky. We see trees and grass and computers and buildings and all sorts of stuff that we see. And you can look at all these things through the eyes of your head, but you need to look at them also through the eyes of your heart. Everything we enjoy, whether it's good health or a loving family or a sound mind or freedom or a decent job or opportunities, These things are not just good luck or or good fortune. These things are undeserved blessings from our Heavenly Father, given to us as His children. The whole creation is a gift from Him, reflecting His glory. Computers and cars and buildings, they're tools that God has supplied us with. To use for his service. And people, most of all people, made in the image of God, sinners in need of Christ. I mean, think about lust for a minute. When we look at a person with lust in our hearts, we're looking only at what we can see with our eyes. We're focusing on one very narrow aspect of their being. But the fact is, there's many unseen things that you also have to look at. We are failing when we look only on the outside. Failing to see the one who made this person in his image. And in some way then is standing with that person and behind that person and in that person. For in him we live and move and have our being. And we're failing to see the eternal soul of that person. 
We're failing to see that person as someone who needs love and needs Christ and needs the gospel. And, you know, we can live life in this world, but if we're not seeing the unseen things, then we're not seeing the purpose of the world, the meaning of the world. So things look very different through the eyes of the heart than they do merely through the eyes in our heads. Let's think about church for a minute. Let's think about viewing church with the eyes in our heads from the point of view of the outer man. Here, it's filled with people that you may not enjoy and music which you may not enjoy and prayers and sermons which might seem very boring. But that's when we're looking at church through the eyes of our flesh, through the eyes in our heads. How do we view church with the eyes of our hearts? Well, how do we view the people in the church? They are the people that God has chosen for himself, the apple of his eye, the ones he so closely identifies with, That Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 that if you do something to them, you've done it to him. They're the ones who have an eternal destiny of glory. The ones who will rule over the earth and shine like angels. Forever friends who who are more closely related to us than our closest unbelieving relative. Now, what about the music? Well, you've heard of the, I I think, if you've uh, in tune with Sesame Street at all, you've heard of the song that never ends. Well, the fact is, there is a song which never ends. Over thousands of years, it has been sung without interruption. And when churches gather, they have the privilege of joining in that song. And the music is combined. You know, you think, well, they're singing this song, we're singing that song. How does that work? Well, you've seen before how in one body can be singing two different songs. And, and if it's been well-crafted, they flow together in a majestic and beautiful and arresting way. Well, in the ears of God, that's what it's like. It's one song, and we're all singing different words and different notes, but it's all part of the same song in the ears of God. A giant symphony of worship. And what about the sermons and the prayers? Well, I can understand how you could be bored with the prayers and sermons in church. When I was young, I was so bored by these kinds of things. It was hard to endure, but I was seeing with merely my human eyes. Now I see that prayers and sermons are at the heart of the most important conversation any of us will ever have. You know, it's almost impossible to have a relationship without having conversation. You need to be able to speak what's on your mind and then listen to the other person who speaks what's on their mind and heart. 
The same is true in our relationship with the Lord. He speaks with us, to us, and we listen. And we speak to Him, and He listens. These are the two sides of our dialogue with the living God as a community. Now, God speaks to us through His Word, and we speak to Him in prayer. This happens individually, but it also happens corporately. And that's what we do at church. Together, we hear from God and we listen to Him speaking to us in His Word and then we address Him, praising Him, thanking Him, crying out to Him according to our present needs. We can see things with the eyes of the flesh and they look just like they do to the non-believer. But they look completely different when we look through the eyes of our hearts. You can grasp the beauty and purpose of today only if you understand today in light of the God who was and is and is to come. Suffering looks like meaningless agony until you look at it in light of the invisible God who sends it in love and uses it for good. The treasures of this world, they look like sources of life until our eyes are open to see Christ the only true source of life. And then we understand the treasures of this world as gifts he's given, like birthday gifts you give to your child because you love them. You don't want them to worship this gift or think that this gift is really the important thing in their lives. No, your love for them is the important thing in their lives. So what is the unseen thing ultimately? What is the invisible thing that, that is behind all this that Paul's talking about, it is God, the invisible God. The most important things for us to look at are the things we cannot see. The most important person in our lives is the one who is there even when we feel like we're alone. The most important thing in your life is the creator of all things. And when you look at the world with God in the picture, there is no purpose to things. There is no meaning to life unless God is in the picture. So you, if you look at the world without God in the picture, there's no meaning. There's no purpose to the things. There's no reason for hope. There's no explanation for why things are the way they are. Hear this. Anytime we merely look at something, we miss what it really is. Hear that? Anytime we merely look at something, we miss what it really is. Only when we look at something in light of its invisible purpose, in light of the mind of the invisible God who allowed it to be, only then are we able to grasp what that thing really is. Let me take that a step further. 
only, only when we look at someone in light of his or her invisible purpose, in light of the mind of the invisible God who made that person, only then are we able to grasp who that person really is. And let me take it one step further. Only when we look at ourselves in light of our invisible purpose, in light of the mind of the invisible God who created us, are we able to grasp who we really are. Some of the unseen things which this verse here is referring to are God's love for us in Christ Jesus, his forgiveness of our sins, the hope which awaits us on account of his righteousness counted for us. You can't see those things with your eyes. They're unseen. But through Paul, here God says, Look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And viewing these unseen things, Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Now, you know, that can be taken the wrong way. You could think, okay, well, Paul was a hermit who went off in some monastery somewhere and just talked with God. But that's not at all what Paul was doing. He said this, but that's not what he was talking about. He was very active, engaged in this world. He wasn't what we would say, so earthly minded that he was no heavenly good. It doesn't mean that you just leave this world and go off and think about God 24 hours a day. It means that while you're walking on this earth, you're walking with God. And you're walking in such a way that you see the world according to the way he has has, uh, ordained it and according to the way he has instructed us about it. Christ is the thing which makes life in this earth rich and meaningful and beautiful. One of the most important aspects, this is the most, one of the most important aspects of spiritual maturity. To be able to see everything in our lives according to the reality of the invisible God. And when we can do that, we're not driven to and fro by the circumstances of our lives or by the moods that we find ourselves in because we have an anchor, because we see everything in light of God. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, when I, chose, when I uh, asked my wife to marry me, um, I didn't really know what I was getting into. And I think probably if, if every single married person here was honest, they'd say the same thing. They didn't really know what they were getting into because they didn't know who this person was. You just know a little bit. 
And guess what? Even the part that you know changes. But when God reached out to us, and when he said, will you be mine? He did know what he was getting into. He knew us up one side and down the other. He knew us inside and out. He knew what he was getting into. He knew our past sins. He knew our present sins. And he knew our future sins. And yet he said, I want you to be mine. You know, this world sometimes tells us, you are nothing. You are nothing. But you don't have to believe what the world says. You want to remember the unseen. You want to remember the Father who says, I love you. I have chosen you. I have an eternal purpose for you. Don't believe what the world tells you. And there's a flip side to that too. When the world says, wow, you're everything. You're Mr. Star. You're, you're, you know, you are, whatever you say, we're going to do. Don't believe that either. God says, you're just my child. I love you. That's your hope. That's your security. Let us come to the table of the Lord where we humble ourselves before the Lord and take him for ourselves. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this sacrament. And though, O Lord, we can see it, we know that there is something here that we cannot see. For all we can see is a loaf of bread and a cup of wine. But Lord, we know that unseen, here there is Christ. And that he, O Lord, wants us to partake of him. And invites us to partake of him. And offers himself to us in love. Help us now, O Lord, each one of us, to partake of Jesus, the unseen, even as we partake of these seen symbols of him. We pray in his name. Amen.